you turn off the dishwasher? <laughs> That's not going to happen. Um, so introduce yourself, uh, your name, what you do, or what you've done. Uh, and it's going to take a long time. And the more time you take, the better it is for me. <laughs> and then, uh, and then say the words, "Welcome to the music." Welcome to the music. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, at the end of introducing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Welcome to the music, and then we'll have the house band play. Yeah. And then we'll we'll yeah, get okay. into it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I feel like we're in Hollywood or somewhere. <laughs> so do you want me to go? Sure. Yeah, whenever you're ready. Okay. Yeah, go. Hi, the following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find them at 1177 Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery. Hi, my name is Chris Burkett. I'm a record producer, singer-songwriter, primarily an artist who became a producer, and the producer became an artist when I moved here to Canada. So I started my career as a homeless musician in London, sleeping on the streets. And uh, one night I was in a gas station doing a night shift, and a guy came in and said, are you Chris Burkett, the guitarist? And I said, yeah, and he said, well, we're going to Germany tomorrow for an 18-month tour, and we need a guitar player. And would you like to come? So I said, hell yeah. So I waited till the boss came in, and I quit my job instantly, jumped in the back of the truck, and went to Germany. And then I, we, were the, we became the best soul band in Germany. Before you continue with your career, let's go back to you when you ask. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's say it together. Welcome to the music. One, welcome. <laughs> three. Welcome, welcome to, to the, the music. music. <laughs> so, um, the, the our agent asked us if we would mind playing with the big major Memphis acts that were coming over to entertain the troops because we were playing primarily on a NATO bases right, in Germany. So uh, we got to play, I got to play guitar for Rufus Thomas and Anne Peebles, did a tour of Europe with Anne and uh, Gene Knight and King Floyd. Uh, Gene Knight did a, had a hit with Mr. Big Star. And then I went back to London after their 18 month tour and became I got myself a little place to live and uh, I went to uh, the Melody Maker had, there's a new music paper in London I had um, I, looked every, I used to look there every, every week for uh, the classified section it had name band looking for a guitar player and uh, so I went to the audition and they asked me to join and it was uh, the pop band called Love Affair now you may remember Love Affair there we had a big hit called Everlasting Love mm-hmm. do you know that song? Um, yes you were showing yeah. your age so, so yeah, it's a, uh, it goes, uh, open up your eyes, then you realize. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Who covered that song? Who covered that? Oh, everybody's covered it. Yeah, so well, many times. Well, we yeah. did it originally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, that, so, uh, I don't tell many people that because I'm not really, I don't consider myself a pop artist. But uh, anyway, the bass player of Love Affair told me about a band that had just been signed to a huge deal with Tony Visconti, who's David Bowie's mm-hmm. producer. Yep. yep. And uh, so I, I went to the audition and uh, they asked me to join the band. And that band was called Omaha Sheriff. And we made two albums with Tony. 
And uh, uh, do you know a do you know a singer called Mary Hopkin? I don't know. Those were the days, my friends. We thought they'd never end. Yeah, that's sing story, and yeah, dance yeah. forever and a day. You know that song? Yeah. Well, that was she had a big hit with that. Paul McCartney wrote it. So that was uh, that was Tony's wife. So anyway, Tony uh, Mary Hopkins sang on our first uh, two albums back in vocals, which is really cool. <laughs> Lovely lady. And <laughs> uh, then um, so I went from that. I I was watching Tony in the studio working. I was totally addicted to uh, how he made records. He's a great producer, a great arranger, great string arranger, great bass player. So I was constantly annoying the hell out of him, asking him questions. And then so I went. He actually became my mentor. I went from uh, being an artist performing and writing songs I went into being a record producer and uh, Tony was my mentor and then uh, I, I went on from there to open my, my own studio in London and after a few years that studio got rated on, in the Billboard magazine as the second best studio in the world and there was just a, a potting shed in my garden it was, a, it was a converted garage and I made a lot of hits there like uh, Sinead O'Connor Nothing Compares to You mm-hmm. I uh, made a rec- uh, Dexy's Midnight Runners, Gino, their first hit. It was number, mm-hmm. number one for 11 weeks. I did a, a lot of, I did 11 number one records while I was living in London. And then um, I decided to move to, I bought a chateau in the south of France because I was making more money than I could use. So I was getting checks for half a million dollars coming in all the time. But well, it was in the days when you could make money being a record producer, <laughs> which is not the case these days. So, um, so the Sinead record, for example, uh, the album and the single "Nothing Compares to You," I, I did I that must, do well. I must have earned, <laughs> I must have had five five million dollars in royalties easily. For That's that awesome. Record. So let me let, let's go way back. Yeah. Let's go away because I want to get through all of that stuff. Um, when when did you pick up your first instrument, or was it your were your parents big into music? Like, how did you get attracted to that? Uh, well, I didn't actually have any parents. My, my parents broke up when I was four. Okay. So I was brought up by a wicked step monster, as they're called. You know, there's a lady uh-huh. that didn't, just did it for the money and didn't like me and my sister. So I wow. had a thoroughly mis- miserable childhood. But uh, uh, the thing that really saved my ass is, uh, excuse the, my French. It's all right. Was, um, I was, when I was eight years old, I, I had this desire to play music. But, of course, I didn't have any instruments. So... And I was on my own, so so I went out in the garbage and found some bits of wood, and I, I nailed together my first guitar, and somebody gave me some banjo strings, and so that was my first instrument. Uh, and then when I was twelve, I I um, saved up all my money and uh, bought my first electric guitar. So my so my first guitar was uh, right. I, I'm actually left-handed naturally. Yeah. So I used to play like that, but when I bought my first electric guitar, I couldn't afford the left-handed model, so I bought the right-handed model and I decided to switch over rather than play like Jimi Hendrix you know upside down mm-hmm. I just started to learn again yeah so I didn't really start seriously playing guitar till 12 and then when I was 14 I formed my, I formed my first band in Farnborough where where I grew up and that band was called Friends of Fernberg what so, kind of music were you playing uh kind of Led Zeppelin you know Deep Purple Rory Gallagher uh yes Gentle Giant, stuff like that, you know, stuff that we, I was really into at the time. Nice. Yes, was pretty progressive for that age. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, well, Omaha Sheriff, the band that yeah. I signed with Tony Visconti, yeah, yeah. We, we were doing Yes kind of material. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's in, it in the days when you didn't have to consider, you know, formulas mm-hmm. for records, you know. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like nobody, nobody 
cared whether the, the track was like eight minutes long. You could do what you know. You could do what you, your heart was in your heart. Yeah. You didn't have to sort of conform to anything. So we would we would we we would do like long stuff, but they have they have multiple songs inside one song. And it's the kind of stuff where we're writing. I got a band here in Toronto called the Free Spirits uh, with Sherry Talon. And we, we listened to Yes and Gentle Giant, those kind of bands, and John LaPonte before we write a song. So our, our stuff has that uh, non-conforming to, you know, the formula mm-hmm. type of aspect to it. So we, we write, we're, we're trying to perpetuate the idea of being, you know, write, writing music from the heart rather than trying to fit into something. You know? Yeah. Did you take classes at all? Did you just learn by ear? Like, no. what was that like? No, I mean, I mean, I taught by, I taught myself by ear. I, yeah. I, instead of going out and getting into trouble, because I, I grew up in a really rough area, so most of my friends ended up in prison. Uh, instead of going going out and destroying things and people, I would just sit at home with my vinyls. And uh, the first vinyl I bought was uh, Strawberry Fields, you know, by the Beatles. You know, I'm, wow. I'm a great George Martin fan. That was your first vinyl you ever purchased? Yeah. Greg, yeah. do you remember your first vinyl? Michael Jackson's... Off the wall? 79. <laughs> what would be 79? Was it off the wall? Might have been that. Anyway, I don't know. Mine was Blondie. Oh, Blondie. You're, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm older than you guys, so. <laughs> <laughs> you probably don't know some of that. I mean, I also bought a record called Margarine by Joe Cocker, which is his first day of a record. Wow. So nobody knows that song, but it's, check it out. It's awesome. And you can see, you can hear all this stuff on YouTube now. It's fantastic. Yeah. And yeah, we we use the free spirits. We use YouTube to research before we write a song. We we do a lot of research and we listen to stuff and we take it all in, and then we you know make the make a music uh, the music inspired by what we've been hearing. Well, t- talking about YouTube, I, I went when I when I read that um, your band had sung that song "Everlasting Love," and I go, wait, like is that the same "Everlasting Love" that you know? That you hear on the uh, like the oldies, yeah, oh, right? it's an oldie, yeah, it's an oldie. Recording. And yeah. and then it came out and go, I don't remember this version. And then I'm trying to say, and then I'm trying to picture you, and I couldn't figure out which one you were. Well, I because obviously your hair was different. Yeah, I, I had hair then. So. <laughs> <laughs> hair today, gone tomorrow. Right? <laughs> but uh, I, mean, I lost most of my hair, but doing 48 hour recording sessions. Are you yeah, sure. I, I worked with a guy called Malcolm McLaren, who's, who's the manager of the Sex Pistols. Uh-huh. And he was, we used to do 48 hour sessions and I wouldn't be able to sleep. I'd be on the board controlling everything. And they'd all be like coking it up, you know, in the studio. And I was on like vegetarian salads, you know. And that's the only, that's the only thing that kept me, kept me alive, you know, because in those days, mm-hmm. studios were very expensive and you used to get a lockout rate. So you'd book the studio for 24 hours. So people would make you work for 24 hours. And then sure. in Malcolm McLaren's case, it was 48 hours and more. And I, I used to, you know, I got, there's a video of me uh, working with Steve Earle because I, I worked on Copperhead Road. Yeah. And I recorded a track with him uh, by the Pogues um, called Johnny Come Lately. And you can go online and see that video. If you go Steve Earle, Johnny Come Lately with the Pogues. Yeah. You'll see me as a really skinny engineer with like, you know, like, just withering away, you know, just like. Just with, <laughs> on on Cokes and salad. Well, I, didn't, I, never, I never touched Coke, but, uh, but no, it's uh, no. I didn't drink Coca Cola. I don't. I've always been. A, I've always been a health. That's what you meant, right? Yeah, you meant that kind of Coke. Right? Yeah, well, no, I was. I was a health. I was into healthy food, you know, at the time. So you know, I was. I uh, just lived on salads and you know stuff like that. 
a lot of garlic. So I don't know how I became so successful because I used to stink. With you know. all the garlic. <laughs> <laughs> you, you forced your bands to work very quickly. Yeah, exactly. Did you ever work with the Sex Pistols themselves? No, I only worked with Malcolm McLaren. But um, yeah, on I, what projects? I, but I did work with. Um, uh, I think it was a Sex Pistols thing we were working on. But I did work with a punk artist, and I, I played guitar and went on tour with him. It's uh, John Otway. Mm-hmm. He was a punk star. He had a big, big hit called "Really Free," mm-hmm. and we wrote, recently wrote and recorded an album together in Montserrat, uh, oh, wow. in the Caribbean, yeah. a couple of years ago. Went out there and. Uh, while I was living in Toronto, uh, we reconnected because he put out a new new movie called John Otway, Rock and Roll's Greatest Failure. Okay. And it was, at the, it was on at the Bloor Hot Dogs. And I hadn't seen him since the 70s because we wrote an album together called All Balls and No Willie because <laughs> he broke up with Willie Barrett. So that, that's it, a punk album. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, I, I, I went to the Bloor Hot Dogs and met him. And we were just like so happy to see each other. Yeah. And then he said, well, I, I want you to produce my next record. We're going to George Martin's house in Montserrat, you know, the Beatles producer. Wow. And we're going to, you know, make a record there. So we couldn't use uh, Air Montserrat. It had been destroyed by a hurricane. Mm-hmm. So I converted George's basement into a recording studio. Mm-hmm. Took, uh, took a long time. Yeah, we had to uh, we had to dehumidify it. it. It was soaking wet down there. It's the tropics, right? So we had, we ran a, a, two air conditioners for twenty four seven, and uh, we're throwing out like buck, huge buckets of water, like, you know, every few hours. Yeah, and we got it down, got the humidity down. Then I put my gear in there, and we made this uh, off the floor album, the punk kind of punk albums. It's really good. So, can you can you talk about like something that we like to explore with our guests is the difference between when you were engineering back then with Malcolm McLaren and today, and just like, you know, you talk about the 48 hour block yeah. and today you can go into a destination and do it at, I'm not gonna say your leisure, but well, at your pace, right? Uh, and, well, and technology technology's helped a lot. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm an analog, I came up in the analog thing, right? So there's 24 track analog tape. I made a couple of records with uh, Mel Brooks, the filmmaker. Yeah. Um, one's called the Hitler rap, which you can see on YouTube. And uh, that record, Mel couldn't rap in time. So I literally had, I gave up trying to put him on the music. It was like a disco thing, you know? Yeah. So he couldn't, he couldn't rap on that. So I just said, just, just freeform. I recorded him on a quarter inch tape. And then I had to literally get that quarter inch tape and mark it with a little pencil and go one, two, three, in, you know? Okay. And every line had to be f- flown into the 24 track. And in those days, it was destructive recording. If you dropped in too early, you'd lose the, the, the bit. You, oh, wow. So it was very tricky. It took me two or three days to get Mel in time with the music. But now, it's on Pro Tools, it's, you know, or Logic or whatever you're working on, it's a piece of cake, you know. So, so I really like technology. You know, I'm really into it. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, the analog sounds good. You know, uh, if you compare a vinyl version against a CD... You will hear the difference. So you can hear the difference then? Oh, I can, yeah. Uh, a friend of mine, Galen Weston, he, he did an album recently and he invited me up to listen to it. He's got a studio here in Toronto. And um, he played me the mix on the same mix on a CD mm-hmm. and then he played it on a vinyl. And the vinyl literally filled the room. As The CD sounded like really small and the vinyl went, Whoa, you know. So, so it is, you know, uh, there's advantages to analog. Yeah. But... In terms of creativity, uh, the new hard disk digital recording systems are so much more creative. Like, 
I can capture performances. I don't have to worry about tuning, timing. But if the performance is happening, then you've got it. Now, in the old days, you would have to, if something was out of tune, you have to redo it. And quite often, you would lose the passion in the performance because you're redoing stuff. Mm. You, that doesn't have to happen anymore. You can just capture everything and you can, like, move it around, get it in time. You put it, I've got this wonderful program called Melodyne, and that's a, it's a transparent vocal tuning program. So you can get vocals to sound really good. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, on the, late, the latest Buffy St. Marie album, um, she, she did a track just like with a guitar and voice, and she wanted it all live. So um, we did like 15 takes, and I had to edit between takes. So it's a stereo guitar track and the voice. Yeah. Put it all together, and it's like, oh shit, the, the guitar's out of tune, you know, because obviously after 15 takes, it, if you, unless you keep tweaking it, it's going to go out a bit, right? Yeah. So some of the edits were like actually out of tune, and some were in tune. So it's, normally that would be curtains you have to say right we've got to do it all again so what i did i put the guitar into melodyne 4 which is a polyphonic tuning program and every note on the guitar comes up on screen and you just you just select all and go tune you can tune yeah. it in post yeah. oh yeah jeez i tuned the guitar up in post yeah <laughs> and you can do it with an orchestra too you can record an orchestra and you can literally rewrite the piece now but if how you want to make a, mi- a major chord a minor chord you just do Does it. it have that sound though? That that's still no, live. It's transparent. It's, it's, you can't hear anything that's been done to it. Okay. It's an incredible program. It's designed by some German scientist. You know, like really inc- intelligent human being. And uh, it's you know, I use it. I use it all the time. And uh, you can't hear. I don't. I never use auto tune because that's a mechanical tuning system. Yeah. And it's not. It, it doesn't take into account. Uh, timbre and pitch bends and all that stuff it just flattens everything out so it sounds like a you hear that on a lot of you know yeah. contemporary yeah, pop records uh, but Melodyne doesn't do that you can put it into you can put it into the program and then you can look at it you don't even have to touch it you don't have to tune it you just like just grab a note here and there that might be out interesting that's what I do with Buffy because she you know she sings really well but she you know she's human so she sings out yeah sharp sometimes and flat sometimes the stuff that um that Neil Young has been doing with his archives and also trying to uh, to get control of a bunch of masters and sort of release that because yeah. you know he talks about the quality of the sound, the way it was meant to be heard. Uh, um, your, your thoughts on, on all that stuff he's doing around analog? Uh, I think it's I think uh, the word anal is in analog, and uh, <laughs> I don't. I think people get too hung up about that. I don't really think that's what sells records. Okay, sure. What sells records is performance. Yeah, and and, so, and songwriting and the vision of the lyricist. You know, that's mm. what that's what attracts people. Uh, the thing about sound and is this better than that? Is that better? And is that frequency good? And I've seen I've seen producers completely destroy a singer. Yeah, by putting up like loads of mics and then making a sing the song a hundred times so they get the right sound, and then they say, "Well, let's you know, let's go." Uh, and by that time, the, the singer's absolutely exhausted. Mm-hmm. I, I never do that. I, I just capture everything natural. Uh, I have to tell you that uh, nothing compares to you, Sinead's hit. Yeah, was a one-take vocal. So, really? Yeah. So if I hadn't been ready to record to capture that, because so, Sinead hated studios, she got used to get really bored. She could only stay in the studio for a few hours and then she had to go home. So, so she came in. She said, "I want to sing the, the vocal or nothing compares to you." So. We had the track already. Yeah. Just like bang, I was recording straight away, 
and that was the take. No music in the background, just her. No, no I, I had a, 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 a drum loop and a, a live hi hat and some string program strings. Yeah. Uh, no bass. And in fact, I never ended up putting a bass on that song. It's the only song I've ever put released that uh, didn't have a bass on it. So, but um, but anyway, it was a one it was a one take vocal, and I, I learned some very hard hard lessons on my way up through the music business. Uh, you know who Trevor Horn is. Right? Mm-hmm. He produced Seal and Frankie Goes to Hollywood. And was, well, he used to come down my. I was in house engineer at uh, Tapestry Studios, so he came down once to, to record a piano player, a Greek guy called Nick Pletus on a, on a. I think it was on the Seal record or something. But, uh, we had a big Stein, uh, Steinway Grand at our studio, so that's why he came down. So anyway, the, the guy sat down. I had the twenty-four track. In uh, running with the song in record because I always record even if the artist doesn't know that I'm recording that's how you catch your great performances mm-hmm. and uh, while the guy while the song was playing the guy was playing the piano and I was on this big trident console tweaking the EQ to find the sweet spot right you know sort of stuff okay, right? yeah. and then I uh, got to the end of the tape I wound the tape back I said right Trevor I'm ready to record he said that's the take I said, oh, you can't use that. It's all, you know, I was changing the EQ every, all over the place. It's, it's, you know, it's unusable. He said, well, that's your problem, Chris. We're going out for dinner. You fix it. So, <laughs> so, Lovely. So I had, to, I had to bounce the stereo piano track back to, to other tracks and literally reverse everything I did on the, on the EQ. It was murder. So after that, I never, I never messed with anything. I record everything naturally. Yeah. Just capture the performance. And then figure it out later. And then figure it out later. And you can do that on the... Much easier on uh, you know contemporary equipment. You know? Yeah. So you know, analog's great, but you know, I'm I'm happy to see the back of it. So. You you went, you went on to actually. Let me ask you this: before you went on this big tour in Germany, but but you you talked about you were you were homeless. Yeah, I was homeless in London, uh, and then I got myself a job in a gas station doing a night shift, and that's when the band came in at two in the morning. How does that happen, though? How do you? How does one? End up home, like uh, I, ended up I guess home, I, you yeah. know we know what how one end, ends up, but like how did you? Uh, well, the thing is, I was I was very unhappy. Okay, I had no family life, mm. had no parents, and my dad was a long distance truck driver. And how old there. how old were you again at this time? I was from the age of four up till the age of uh, nineteen. So so I wasn't very happy at home, and I tried to escape many times. Yeah, I tried to join the navy at twelve. Yeah, I, and uh, I got accepted into an officer's training college. I passed all the exams, but my dad wouldn't let me go because he had to pay some, some money. Mm. But, I mean, I love my dad. Don't let me, don't yeah, let me, sure. Don't let me uh, indicate that I'm dissing him or anything. You know, we reconnected a big time. Nice. But uh, no, is I, I was actually <clears throat> I couldn't wait to get away from home. So uh, my dad wanted me to do electronic degree. So I did mm. aircraft electronic degree wow. in my hometown. And I became qualified as an aircraft electronic uh, uh, engineer, but which was very useful later because I built many. I built seven recording studios and I designed and built seven studios all around the world since since then. So yeah, the electronic, yeah, so the electronic yeah. thing came yeah. in really handy. And I fixed our PA system recently because <laughs> <laughs> we had trouble with that. So. Yeah. But um, I, uh, my epiphany, if you like, my turn, my turnaround happens. I was. Uh, Deep Purple came to play at my college where I was studying. We had lots of bands used to come there, like Pink Floyd and all those great bands, you know, from the 70s. So uh, I was standing in front of Richie Blackmore watching him play a solo on a highway child or something. And I just 
my brain kind of exploded. I had this epiphany. I thought, I don't want to be an electronic engineer. I want to be that guy. And that's what made me get be, become dedicated. I thought, I don't care what I've got to do. I can't stay here. I've got no family life. I don't want to be an electronic engineer. I finished my training, but when I was 19, I got on a train and I went to London. And I, that's when I became homeless because I didn't have anywhere to stay. And I was, yeah. I was sleeping on the streets. And that, then I got a job in a gas station. And then that's, that's when it all started. So, so you went to London... To be a musician, like that was your yeah. I, yeah, I just, you yeah, to, I wanted to get away yeah. from the, the you know the you know the rigid kind of expectations that people yeah. had of me. I didn't you know I didn't want to be the people I was working with at the Royal Aircraft Establishment where I did my training uh-huh. were like they were they were waiting to, for their pensions. You know, that's not that's not a life. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to live my life and just you know take some chances and, and do things. You know. So I did, you know, you know, I took a chance and I think if you get these crossroads in your life and it's trying to make a decision and what you, what decision you make at that crossroad really determines what yeah. happens to you in your life. But you so must, I'm, you must have been some, you must have been in air quotes somebody because they came looking for you. Yeah. Well, I've been playing in Irish pubs okay. in London Jeez. and I, I was doing a lot of covers, you know, Elvis Presley stuff, right? And then people, some people heard me, and then recommended me to the guy that was yeah. going to Germany. So that's how I, that's how he came in and you know, sort of picked me out of the gas station. When did that switch happen for you from playing music and pursuing that to going in the background, going behind the scenes, and and producing? Uh, that was with uh, as I mentioned earlier, Tony Visconti had a big effect on me. Yeah, uh, I just he. I became addicted to record production because of him. I, I, he's a genius. Have you heard any of his records? You know, like, obviously, you know, yeah, the, all the David, the David Bowie, Bowie stuff. Yeah, yeah. Greg's and, a huge Bowie and, fan. Uh, Mark Bolan records. You know, Moody um, uh, Blues. Uh, Bob Geldof. He's, uh, Je- he even did one of my favorite albums by Gentle Giant, uh, Octopus. Okay. So, and he's a, he, he was just so talented and so good. I just thought, well, I, I just want to learn how to do that yeah and I had this electronic background so I was able to uh, you can figure that stuff fi- out figure it, figure it out I was a I was a kind of a musical engineer so people really liked me mm-hmm. I knew how to drop in on the, the push before the fourth beat and stuff like that you know which a lot of people don't if they're technical guys and they watch meters they don't, mm-hmm. they don't really get that so I, I, I had that ability to be musical and not get in the way of the creative flow of the recording session you know yeah so, so I became the go-to engineer and everybody was asking me to do things and you know that's kind of flavor of the month, you know, or flavor of the year. Considering the amount of people you've worked with, and like, is there ever, was there ever a time when you're absolutely in awe, like it just like, or or, yeah, was there a time when you were in awe of who you were sitting there working with at that point? Uh, well, I was in awe of, as I said, I worked with uh, Trevor Horn. He was a really I, I liked what he did. Uh, Matt Lang. Uh, He's uh, the guy who married Shania, Shania Twain. Shania Twain, uh, yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, he produced uh, Def Leppard. And I worked on a Def Leppard album with him. What did you, you did? You worked on Pyromania, right? Yeah, I programmed the drums on Pyromania. Uh, it's kind of inside information. Not many people know that. And uh, <laughs> they didn't want to make a big thing of it at the time. I wasn't credited as drum programmer. But Mark wanted to use the latest technology at that time on that yeah. record. So the drummer played his... All the, played his ideas on the demos and then they gave me the, the tape the demo and I had to score it out because it, it had to be turned into music composition language which is the mm-hmm. first the first sampler ever on the market for real sounds was a Fairlight 
from Australia. It cost $100,000 at the time. Wow. And uh, I was working, the studio I was running was uh, owned by a rich South African guy called John Congress. So he had that, he's a friend of Mutt Langer, so he had that, um, you know, that money, kind of money. We, that machine only, we had one, and I think Kate Bush had one, and Pete Townsend, there's only three people in England had that machine. But it was a monophonic machine, so you had to type in everything that you wanted it to play. You had to give the, so, so we spent hours and hours sampling great drum sounds. So those drums are you on the album? Yeah, yeah I programmed all the pyromania, it's all me, yeah. But I it's not my ideas, it's the, it's the drummer's ideas. Yeah. Uh. I, I had to get those ideas, put them into a computer, and trigger sample sounds with those, uh, with those ideas. So is this... I, it took a long time. What's the drummer's name? Oh, I, I, Do never, you I never met him. That's, that's I just hilarious. worked with Mark. I didn't, I, I didn't meet, meet the drummer. But, uh, so did you also program? Because he's got one, one arm, one hand. Yeah. So did I, you... I think but, he had two arms. Yeah, yeah he, was, he had two arms before. then. Yeah. Okay, because I'm... I'm three. <laughs> I'm just wondering how because I totally inappropriate joke. Okay, carry on. I've seen live concerts, right? Yeah. And and I'm wondering like how the drums are programmed as well. Right? Because I you know, know whether they I don't think they use programmed drums on live concerts. Just that that one album, Pyromania, which yeah. sold forty million copies, uh, was actually a unique album because it's the first album to use programmed drums yeah but but they didn't mention it in the press because the fans would not like to know that their drummer sure. was not yeah. playing on the record you know but Mutt wanted that because he's really into technology and he wanted to like the, he's the got a sound Mutt Lang has that sound because then you can also hear it on Brian Adams stuff yeah Shania Twain you can hear yeah that's a Mutt Lang what is yeah. that what is that sound that he has like uh, it's called experience and really good ears <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's a really good writer he, he actually wrote a lot of the uh, the Def Leppard stuff that's really all him yeah but you know we won't tell anyone. No, no one listens to this podcast. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, the Radical Road Brewery podcast is going to go out internationally tonight. Everyone's breaking, everyone's going. Yeah, breaking on Twitter. How was it working? You mentioned uh, working with um, Sinead O'Connor. How was it working with her? Very talented um, voice, but then she also like she had, and, and um, for me and for me as a child or as a teen of the eighties, I mean, one of the most iconic albums. Do you know what I've got? Yeah. 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 Uh, well, I worked with her on an album called Lion and the Cobra, which is her first debut album. It didn't really break very big, but uh, it got her noticed by the industry. Uh, I mixed two singles off that album called Ma one's uh, Mandinka, another one's called Put Them On Me. Mm -hmm. You can see videos on YouTube of oh, those yeah. tracks. <clears throat> so she liked her and the record company liked what I did on those records. So they, nice. that's how I got to produce the, the, the next album. Huh. But she started the album with Nelly Hooper because he was like, at that time, he was a much bigger name than I was. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, it only, the love affair only lasted two days. She walked out of the studio. Wow. It didn't get on well. To, so the label phoned me up and said, can you, can you help us out? You know, Sinead hasn't got a producer. Can you, could you take over the project? So mm -hmm. that's, what I, that's what I did. Mm. Um, she, had, um, she had a really difficult childhood, much like I did. Um, she grew up in a very orthodox Catholic family, and her mother was really cruel to her. So she would knock her on the floor and stamp on her womb and say, wow. "You're not going to have any fucking babies," you know, and that sort of stuff. Right? So, so she was. She told me all these stories, and uh, she, so she had a lot of is personal issues. Mm -hmm. um, and she didn't really like studios very much. Uh, the thing about Sinead, she was a real artist in the sense of a real. In other words. 
the motive for her being doing what she did was really pure to, uh, to an artistic uh, life. For example, uh, when uh, Nothing Compares to You was, uh, was selling all over the world, we did a we, the record company arranged a big concert at Hammersmith Odeon, and we were just in London, and uh, we were all sitting there in the audience and in the VIP area, you know. And Sinead was on stage, and she said, um, "Came it came round to doing the big hit, you know." And she said, "This is a song I didn't write. It's called Nothing Compares to You, and it's written by Prince. And if I'd known it was going to be a hit, I wouldn't have beep done it." Yes. And then the label said, wow, what's she saying? You know, <laughs> so that that's that kind of gives you an idea of Sinead's thinking. She was not, she didn't really, she wasn't doing. She wasn't it to, a pop artist. She didn't do it to be famous. She just wanted to get the music. Get ideas out. You know, yeah. and, and that's and that's how I feel. I know I'm not interested in you know fame and fortune. We, I have, a, I arrived here in 2012. I got to know everybody. I've done some great, great music here. Met some great artists and. Uh, but my main, one of my main things is to get my own music off the shelf because I've been writing songs for 40 years and I've never been promoting any of it. So I, uh, I promised myself I'd actually dedicate some time to releasing my own music. So I released Be Creative when I arrived here. Uh, it didn't get much play because I didn't know anybody. I got Rick Emmett to play on it from Triumph. Yeah, yeah. I got uh, uh, Glenn Milchin from Blue Rodeo, played drums on 10 tracks. So I've got a few... Uh, a few stars on it, you know. Why but, did you come? Like, why Canada? Out of all the places. Uh, well, it's a good, it's a long story, but I'll give you the short version. Uh, well, as you know, I was working. I've been producing Buffy Saint Marie for the, since 1992. So we've done five mm. albums together, and we got a few, quite a few Junos. So, uh, well, Buffy, um, uh, she had a um, a video made of her life story. It's the official Buffy Saint Marie life story video. And it's produced by a lady called Joan Prowse. There's a company called Cinefocus. It's a Canadian yeah, yeah. company. And uh, so Joan was phoning me up all the time when I was living in Paris to get information about Buffy's album and working with her all this time. Uh, we were the first pe- people to use the web to make music back in 1992. Yeah, talk to me about that. Where was yeah. she? Where are you? In, in, it, it was on Billboard. There's a big, big article about it at yeah. the time. Uh, Buffy was living in Hawaii she still does and I was living in London and uh, I met her in the record company office and we decided we got on well decided we could make music together so but Buffy said well I, you know, I hate travelling over here so jet lag's terrible and I'm sure you don't want to come to Hawaii all the time so uh, so how are we going to start this record and so we you know we sort of thought about it thought well what a, there's, a, there's a company called CompuServe before the World Wide Web, Jeez. and we can. Uh, what about sending MIDI files? So, she, so she had an engine, a boyfriend engineer. He's a tech guy, Roger Jacobs. He he worked out a way of getting her MIDI files. You know what MIDI is? It's musical instrument digital interface. It's a okay. It's a low res file. It's just a one one megabyte file, and it, and it's all the information you play into a keyboard. Right. So so that she sent. Uh, Roger sent all that stuff to me in London via CompuServe and I downloaded it and all I had to do is mirror the same keyboard setup so and I put these files into those keyboards and it would play her ideas would have arrived in my studio in London did you so have like a stuff. proof of concept that this would work like how do you yeah I yeah, just use this CompuServe company no no it was, it was all near it was all nothing nobody had ever done it we were the first people to ever send music over the over the ether you know yeah no nobody tried it before so it, 
I mean, Billboard phoned, phoned me out and we did it. It's a big article about it because it was unique at the time. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, anyway, to answer your question, that the, um, um, the, the girl, Joan Prowse, was phoning me about this. I was telling you all how we did achieve this incredible technological feat at the time. Yeah. yeah now it's easy, right? You know, you send sure. the threes to everybody. Uh, <clears throat> the bandwidth's much bigger and much faster now than it was then. Yeah. Um, so, uh, anyway, she, um, I was playing guitar for Buffy at the time, and we were touring the world, and uh, we, we released an album called Running for the Drum. Mm-hmm. And that got a Juno. So uh, we, we did a concert at Massey Hall here in Toronto. Yep. And I was playing guitar. And I met this lady that had did the, the official Life Story documentary. Movie, yeah. She came and introduced herself to me in the green room. And uh, then we just stayed in contact. And I ended up moving, out, moving over here. So that's how I ended up in Canada. I, I moved here from Hawaii. I had a studio in Hawaii. Hawaii. Uh, do you still have the place I want to go there now? Well, it's still there, but it's, it's owned by some rich hippies, and they, they're just they're just they're just dicking around. They're not doing anything over there. But I have to tell you, Hawaii, and, and you're, and Hawaii you're, is a great place to visit. Yeah, great place for holiday, but you do not want to live you there. Do, you don't want to live there. No, it's really boring. There's nothing to do except surf, smoke pot, and you know play covers in in the hotels for tourists all right i'm off and that and that's, <laughs> that's, 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 that's good enough for me <laughs> yeah but after six months it's like you know what, what am i doing here you know there <laughs> and listen i want to uh you're, you're officially canadian yeah you I, just, I, got my, I got my citizenship on the 5th of march Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> oh canada <laughs> i don't know the rest of it but anyway the funny thing about the citizenship, I had to swear allegiance to the Queen, which is... Really, again, all over again. I found it really shocking. I thought, why am I swearing allegiance <laughs> to the Queen? I left that uh, you in left. 1993. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Earle in Copperhead Road, one of my favorite songs of all time. Tell me, tell me about uh, making that song. Well, I, I didn't record the song Copperhead Road, but uh, my link to that song was that I was working with Steve Earle, and as I said, I, I recorded... Um, a song called Johnny Come Lately for the Copperhead Road album okay, with right. the Pogues. Okay. Uh, but I also did the programming, drum programming and percussion on uh, You Belong To Me, which is another song off the album. Okay, okay. But Steve actually, I was in the studio working with him in London and uh, he came in with a mandolin. He said, hey, Chris, listen to this new song I'm working on. He, he played Copperhead Road. So that, I was the first person to hear him probably. Yeah. But, uh, but he recorded it in the States. So. He's another one like Sinead O'Connor, just doing it for the music, it's, it seems, right? Yeah. He's, he's another one of those guys. A seriously talented individual. I, I went to see him at the Mean Fiddler while I was working with him. He did a, they asked him to go and do an acoustic show. And he sang this song that he wrote years ago called My Old Friend the Blues. And I, after I heard him sing that song, I was like, I just thought, this guy is fantastic you know, yeah. I was just like totally sold you know I just loved him so tell me about what's happening now with you you're, you're you, you, you've spent 40 years sort of writing music but not doing anything with it um, well I had a few hits I mean I, uh, Quincy Jones recorded one of my songs mm-hmm. uh, a song called uh, Kiss of Life the, the debut album for Saida Garrett Michael Jackson's singer okay uh, and, I, and I had a massive hit called Aphrodisiac in London. It's a big club anthem, which, which every DJ in the world has remixed since. So, uh, so I'm not. Although my most of my songs have been on the back shelf, I have managed to get a few out get now a few, and again. Yeah. You know. But now I'm in uh, Canada, which I love. To, I love being here. By the way, it's just it's the best country of all the countries I've lived. This is like the the place. And I decided to make it my home now. What, what is it? Uh, what is it about Canada that you love so much? 
Because um, you've you so you've chosen to be here. I just here. love the way you guys say, "Hey, hey, out out in the boot." <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> no, it's a, the reason I like Canada and especially Toronto is it's it's a, a mosaic of culture mm-hmm. here. You can travel the world without leaving the city. And uh, I, I, on my last album, uh, my debut album here was called "Be Creative." I have a song which I wrote for my Greek. I'm half Greek, right? So. Uh, my Greek cousin died of cancer at the age of 42, and his family were really sad. And they, they said, could you write a tribute? So I wrote a song called Vasilis, which is his name. Okay. And it's a, de- it's a tribute to him. Uh, but Vasilis is a, is a rock song, but it, has, it had to have bazooki on it. Do you know what a bazooki is? No. It's not a thing, it's not a thing you blow up tanks with. It's a, it's a musical instrument. It's, like a, it's got a beautiful pear-shaped body and a big long neck. Okay. And uh, you'll, you'll, you'll hear them in the Danforth. If you go out there, you'll hear people playing bazookis. Ah. Come up and to I, my neighborhood, you can hear it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and anyway, they, I, I wanted a bazooki, a, a real I play bazooki, but I play it like a tourist. And so I wanted a real bazooki player. So I went to, for a meal up at the Danforth, and this, I was sitting there eating this uh, calamari and listening to this house band. And this, this guy was like Van Halen on the bazooki, this young guy called Demetrius progress mm-hmm. so uh, I, when he came off stage I said I want you to, you've got to play on this song I wrote this song for my co- Greek cousin and I have to have a bazooki on it so he came in the studio I had a studio in Sherbourne Street when I first arrived here and he came in and uh, with Rick Emmett and they did a, a dual bazooki and electric guitar duel wow. it's absolutely awesome so that's on the Be Creative album that's awesome so that, that's what I love about this town it's you, you can get a Oud player from Egypt you can get a Darabuka player from the Berber culture you can get anything you want in, in this country and, and in this city especially. So I, as a world music fan, you know, I worked with Peter Gabriel many years ago mm-hmm. and I got addicted to world music. Did and you work I, with Peter Gabriel? I worked with him on um, a live tour. I did, we did a tour with him and Sting and Sinead. We did a tour of Europe to raise money for the Kurds. Okay. And so I, I was a sound guy on that tour. So I, worked, I didn't work with him in the studio, but I worked yeah. with him on stage. Um, and I also met him many times. Uh, he was hanging around with Sinead when I was working on I Do Not Want, Well, I Haven't Got album. Yeah. And he, uh, there's a funny story in this. Uh, I was in the studio recording with Sinead, and this guy would come in every day with a pair of sunglasses and sit at the back of the room and not say anything. And he, he was there like all week, you know. Yeah. And I thought, who's this guy? Why is he wearing sunglasses in a studio? It's like this, you know, there's hardly any lights. And, so eventually, after a couple of days, I went up. I thought I'd better introduce myself. I said, "Hi, I'm, I'm Chris Burkett." And he said, "Oh, I'm Peter Gabriel." Said, I've been sitting with Peter Gabriel for the whole week. And I didn't know it was. <laughs> nice. You, so, you 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 talk about um, you mentioned about doing live production, right? So I, I want to explore that a bit in terms of. Oh, I didn't you answer know, your question about sorry. what I'm doing now. So yeah. I, I oh no, to, yeah. I have to tell you what I'm doing now. So yeah. what I'm doing now is I formed a band called the Free Spirits, and we're going to play play tonight with uh, Shami. She's, uh, she's my keyboard flute player. And uh, we don't have a whole band yet. We're still working on that. But we've, we've done special mixes so we can, you know, we, we're the writers of the album. We wrote, co-wrote the album together. Uh, and it's, my, it's, a, it's a project close to my heart because it's, it's a very... Uh, free spirits essentially are talking about spiritual things. You know, we're, I believe that we're spirit beings in a material body here to experience life on this planet. That's what I, that's what I, I believe. And, and, uh, I, and so a lot of the songs that we've written on this album have that flavor of, uh, 
material and spiritual and the interaction between the two how important it is you know so so we you know uh, that's my that's my current project right now so. neat no, 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 it's fine. I was going to ask you about in terms of production and live music. Like, you know, you talk about liking to record stuff right off the floor and just catching that spirit. You know, do you enjoy that as much when you're doing live productions or? Yeah, I, uh, I, in some ways I wish we could capture everything live yeah. onto a record because when you get in the studio, a lot of people really uh, clamp up, you know. It's, that, it's called the red light syndrome, you know. It's when they know they're like being recorded. On. And uh, it, they don't, they're not in their normal relaxed state. Sure. However, on, on stage with the, the energy of an audience, it, you tend to get much better performances on stage than you can actually get in the studio. Yeah. I always tell people when they're in the studio and they're about to sing, I'd say, well, close your eyes and try and imagine there's a huge crowd out there listening to you. you know? yeah. It helps sometimes. But to answer your question, is yeah. I, prefer, I prefer to be able to capture live performances any day yeah and i mean i i got a tape with uh, when i worked with sting he was phenomenal on stage he never sang a note out of tune he's amazing i got all these recordings of him playing live on the on this tour that we yeah. did together and uh, some of it's you know it's better than the record you know so it's you know it's, it's really good it's, it's uh you can't really you can't capture that in the studio it's hard to capture that in the studio yeah you have a thing for i guess what people would call world music i know when you first went to France and set up shop there you had bands in from Cuba bands in from uh, different places in Africa yeah um, you know from a guy that came from a small town in England um, what attracted you to that type of music well as my contact with Peter uh, when, I, when I met Peter Gable and I heard what he was doing like he discovered many artists from around the world which yeah. people never would have heard like Nusrat Fatah Ali Khan mm -hmm. one of the best Sufi singers in the, on the planet and uh we wouldn't have heard that stuff if it hadn't been for him. Mm. So I was really inspired by that, and I, and I, you know, I believe there's so much beautiful music out there, and we never get to hear it in our culture. Yeah, we're always hearing like R and B and pop. You know, there's, there's so much more to music than that. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it, uh, for me, world music is classical music from the culture. So it has a, it gives you the flavor of the culture. That has the, the incredible, the music has the incredible ability to cut across uh, political, racial, economic barriers and communicate direct to the mm -hmm. person. So when you listen to a, a Berber singer from Algeria, even though you may not understand the Berber language, I, I produced a Berber artist when I lived in Paris called Ali Amran. You may not understand what he's saying, but uh, the music, the, the rhythms, and the, the sound, and also the phonetic sound of the words mm -hmm. has, a, has a profound effect on you. So I, I want people to experience that. You know? I mean, what, one of the reasons I, I love Canada is because it's a mosaic of culture. But I also want people in the rest of the world to hear how talented Canadian musicians are mm -hmm. because they, they, don't get a, they don't get the right exposure. I, when I was living in Europe, I thought Leonard Cohen and Joni Mitchell were American. You know, I had no idea. I was, when I came in, I found out they're, they're Canadian. I thought... Wow, that's amazing. And a lot of people don't know that. So yeah. I want to put that right. I want to use my expertise and my ability and my contacts to get, get Canadian people heard outside of Canada and appreciate it. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's another one of my little projects. So, so, so to that, what are you listening to today? What's inspiring you today? Uh, well, there's a lot of... Uh, I have to tell you that most of the stuff I hear on the radio is, is very uh, flat. 
I, I, um, I don't want to sound like an old fart, but um, I'm, I'm actually winding back to listening to Jean Le Ponty, Mahavishnu Orchestra, Gentle Giant, yes, uh, even Rush, you know, the Canadian yeah. version of Genesis sort of thing. Um, I think Genesis uh, is uh, the uh, English sorry. version of Rush. <laughs> <laughs> no, I shouldn't have said that. No, no, no. Well, yeah, it's a question of preference, but... Uh, um, there is some I mean there, there's, there's stuff out there which is really good I'm, I'm producing an album for a girl from Edmonton called Anne Friend uh, and uh, she sounds like Aretha Franklin and her stuff's fantastic so I've just finished mixing that so that, that's going to be out out there so uh, uh, mostly what I'm really inspired by is stuff that I'm working on nice uh, I'm not really hearing much at the moment that's going on I, I still think we're in a corporate problem with music and we're, we're gradually breaking out of that but what we're given to the public what the public is given to listen to is determined by from, from a business point of view from, in other words it's a sales based corporate uh, idea mm-hmm. as opposed to you know but, but but you can hear there's some stations you can listen to I, I'm, I listen to uh, uh, Element uh, the new station Spirit of Toronto yep. in fact we've done some interviews on there recently nice um, with David Moses he's one of the DJs Julian Taylor's a DJ yeah. there too and some of the stuff they're playing is really good so you know uh, there's stuff out there you know it's, uh, it's, there's stuff that's inspiring that you nice. can hear it just doesn't seem to be so much of it I, you know I, I, I yeah there's uh, take Jethro Toll right yep. Ian Anderson the flute, the flute player um that band did eight albums before they had Living in the Past, which is the big single, the single that broke them, yeah. which is a 5-4. You can't imagine a 5-4 single being in the charts these days. It's, it's yeah. not going to happen, you know? And, and the, the record company stuck with them for eight albums until they got better and better and better, and then they, you know, that doesn't happen either. So we have a, a kind of a shallow perception on music right now to, because of the way the business is. So, but I, I think that's changing. Yeah. For for those uninitiated, what is a five four? Five four is a uh, four four is like one two three four. <laughs> yes, it's a classic four four beat, right? Yeah. The five four is so much nicer. One two three four five one two three four five one two three four. Shouty could play it. <laughs> so that's five four anyway. So. Nice, nice. Yeah. Chris, before we before we uh, let you go and start playing some music, if uh, people want to catch up with you, find out what you're up to, find out what you're doing, uh, where's the best place for them? Uh, well, they can either go to chrisburkettmusic.ca, which is my personal site, or they can go to thefreespirits.ca, which is my personal my project site, which is uh, the latest project awesome. I'm working on. So. Which you're going to hear tonight. So. Awesome. Chris, thanks so much for coming in. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thanks thank for coming you. in.